Well, welcome along to The Pastor's Heart for 2019. Dominic Steele is my name. It's great that you could join us. And we're on the road this week. Uh, we're in the bookshop up at Katoomba in the Blue Mountains, which often is sunny, although not today. It's freezing and miserable. And uh, I am with Dr. Gary Miller. And uh, it's great to see you, Gary. It's good to see you again, Dominic. Gary, of course, is the uh, the principal of... Um, Queensland Theological College, and uh, he's the main speaker. Also, people um, and squillion children, and you are teaching on Jeremiah. Yes, I am. Yep. All of Jeremiah. All of Jeremiah. Seven talks. Seven talks. And it's been great so far, and we've really appreciated it. Now, we're talking the pastor's heart. There's a whole lot of questions yep. I want to ask you about ministry and the, the practice of preaching. Yep. But let's talk the pastor's heart. And I want to go back to the last conversation that you and I had. And we were on, on a car trip to the airport. And uh, we'd both been doing a conference down in Melbourne. And I was talking about the, the difficulties in ministry that I'd had. And you were talking about some of the difficulties. And you told a story of being on trial for heresy. And it's... It, I don't think people today, they, they think of you as the respected principal of the theological college, the chairman of the gospel coalition of Australia, and we just assume everything has always gone well for you, Gary. Tell yeah. us about your heresy trial. Oh, that's, that's why I was uh, deported. Um, uh, we went to um, a pair of small churches in Dublin uh, in 2000, and essentially the the bible had never been taught um there were some warm-hearted people um perhaps some less so and to cut a long story short some of the churchy people who'd been there um, for a long time decided after a couple of years that that i should be removed and so um started a campaign to have me removed by our presbytery and the presbyterian system and then the presbytery said no, and they appealed to a higher body. So that that process took about three years mm. uh, to reach its conclusion. So there were twenty seven reasons why I should be removed. Twenty seven reasons. Uh, yeah, I thought that was, it was quite impressive to get <laughs> to get to twenty seven. Yeah. Now you alluded this morning uh, in the talk that you gave that um, people had come and said we don't want you to talk about forgiveness, and could yeah. you not talk about Jesus? I'm, yeah. I'm imagining. Talking about forgiveness and Jesus were some of the reasons yes. that you were. Yeah. yeah, they were. It was a very unusual situation um, where people, normally in church conflicts, people are savvy enough to attack your character or you know, actions that are you know that that were a judgment call. Um, in our situation, actually, people said out loud, "We don't like the gospel. We don't like Jesus." made it actually relatively easy you know there's nowhere to go if Mm. someone says will you change your message could you stop talking about forgiveness so unlike many of my friends who've been through very difficult times where there was a degree of ambiguity and you know they went through endless self-doubt trying to work out if they'd done the right thing um whatever mistakes we made from the get-go it was quite obvious this was about the gospel and Mm. our opponents actually said that Mm mm-hmm so, it still took quite a toll on you, though. It did, and yet I think we knew we went to a church revitalization where I think my predecessor was a classic liberal, mm-hmm. really believed in very little 
so we knew it was going to be bumpy. And I, and I do think knowing in your you know your expectations are terribly important. Mm-hmm. So we expected it to be hard. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't envisage quite the way it worked out, but we weren't taken by surprise. Also, people were becoming Christians, so standing with them against people who were opposing the gospel was also a delight and, mm-hmm. and an imperative. Mm-hmm. The hard thing, and I think this is probably always the case. The hard thing to deal with was friendly fire. Um, I think we realised um, that we had a tefillin. My wife and I had a, had probably had a tendency to assume we understood people's situations better than they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that time cured cured us of that because we were on the receiving end of some friends who, while they didn't say quite as much, quite this, quite saying quite this way. You could see it in their eyes that they thought, well, if I'd been there, I would have handled this so, you know, so much better. I would have been gentler. I, I would have, have been worked gentler. out some of the right things. Yes, yes. yeah. Um, and so I think it made us slower to assume we knew the details mm. of other people's situations. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, again, in the kindness of God, we, we had actually been very, very patient. Mm-hmm. Certainly for me, you know, yeah. it, was, it was patient. So we took a long time to do things, and they still blew up. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, but but I think again, what was some of my friends were in really I would have said really difficult situations where they they went for years without much fruit at all. Whereas whilst people were were removing me or were trying to have me removed, there were people becoming Christians. Christians. Yeah, yeah, almost mm. on a weekly basis. Yeah, and the church was growing, and yeah. those people weren't at church. So. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Now, in the role you have yep. at uh, principal of the theological college in Queensland. Yep. Part of what you're doing is training preachers. Yep. And um, uh, tell me, how can you preach in, in a way that is simple and clear but rich in application? Yeah. Um, work at it for the rest of your life. <laughs> <coughs> I, think I think that's what we all want to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, I mean, it's one of those things. The first thing I say to our guys is you do actually have to learn to preach simply. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting it into people's heads that if it's not simple and clear, they haven't they haven't finished, mm-hmm. they haven't understood it. And and the the basic skill of preaching is to take part of the Bible and open it up for people in a way that is crystal clear, mm-hmm. and to do that week after week after week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think all of us certainly. I was like this, you know, when I was preparing, you know, early sermons. I wanted all of them to be brilliant. Mm-hmm. After a while, you realise that's not it's you know, <laughs> not going to happen. So I said, "Our guys, you know what? You're just trying to be you're trying to be solid and faithful yeah. and interesting week yeah. after week." But but simplicity isn't everything because you know in any kind of local church situation, people are going to be listening to you a lot, mm. and so that's where the work of making it rich mm. um, that's the real challenge. But to make it rich without losing, you know, the, the clarity, mm-hmm. the simplicity that makes it easy to listen to and understand. Now, I think when I started to preach, I I wanted to be I wanted to be dense. I wanted yeah. to be, mm. you know, to be worthy and weighty yep. and to show that I may be, you know, maybe twenty five, but I've got you know, the wisdom. I have the wisdom. <laughs> And I, I cringe when I look back, you know, because I did everything the wrong way around. I tried to be heavy and then had to kind of reverse engineer back to simplicity. 
you know, and I think it depends on your tradition and who mm-hmm. your influences are. But I do think if you learn to be, if you can learn to be simple to handle the text well, and that's a realizable goal, I think, mm-hmm. for almost anyone, then you need to do the extra work to, to think people are listening to me mm-hmm. week after week after week. How can I, how can I teach in a way that is engaging? and actually helping people to live for Christ mm. and to reach their friends. So this week you're yep. preaching on Jeremiah, yep. the, whole, the whole book of Jeremiah, <coughs> seven talks. Um, I, the first few, the first one you did six chapters. Yep. Then, um, uh, how's your preparation for these talks been different to what you might do if on, a, on a Sunday at, uh, at church? Oh, well, um, for a start, I mean, I've got 45 to 50 minutes. Yep. for every talk mm-hmm. um, there aren't all that many local churches that you could do that mm-hmm. uh, or at least you could do that and retain the bit happiness of your congregation so that gives me more time um, for, for a start the other thing is it's very unusual here at summer school because you've got seven talks yeah. that's for I mean I don't think I've ever done seven talks at a conference, at a conference. Yeah. Um, so that, that gives you the scope to do something a little bit different yeah. and a little bit unusual so in this case, I actually just wanted to help people feel the flow of Jeremiah, of Jeremiah because mm. my experience, certainly with Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, is you start reading and you think, oh yeah, chapter one's great, chapter yeah. two's great. By the time I've got to about chapter eight, I've forgotten what's, <laughs> what's in chapter, in chapter three. <laughs> you know, um, so trying to, to give people That's sweet. Not, not, just yeah. a, not just a framework, but an actual sense of mm. what's going on and why it's in the Bible and mm. you know, why Jeremiah gives us so much of his interior monologue mm. um, and his discussions with God, trying to help people to get answers to those questions that will then enable them to make sense of the little bits. Mm. But also just Jeremiah is so deeply personal mm-hmm. that I think for people in gospel ministry and are committed to gospel ministry, which is really everyone here, mm-hmm. it, it is just immensely encouraging mm. to kind of mm. sit with him as he wrestles with the challenge of bringing God's word mm. to people who often don't listen. Now, I've overheard a little conversation that you were having with Andrew <coughs> Sheep, who's also an Old Testament wizard. Yeah. And you, you were discussing, in writing commentaries on Jeremiah, should you write a commentary for a preacher who wants to preach six chapters at a time yeah. or to preach one chapter at a time? Yeah. So what's your advice for a, a, a local minister? If I was going to tackle oh. Jeremiah, would I do try and do what you've done, six chapter slabs or... And do it over seven weeks? Um, or? I think uh, my rule of thumb, you know, is I want to get to the end before people have forgotten what, what was going on at the beginning. And I think that that will be different depending on your context. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Dublin, I was essentially teaching the Bible to people who had not read it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly we could never go beyond a term, mm-hmm. you know, so it was 10, 11, mm-hmm. 12 weeks, that kind of, that kind of length. Mm-hmm. And depending on, on the material, you could, you could go that far. Mm. Um, but with something like Jeremiah, I think that's, I think I would, you still have to cover three or four chapters yeah. in chunks, which is tough enough. I think the big problem, of course, for, for preachers is always the amount of reading that you have to do. Mm. And, you know, I know there are some people who manage to, you know, do all the reading months in advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I think for most of us, and certainly I was like this most of the time. The reality is, you got maybe a day to 
to think about it in advance mm-hmm. and then you were having to do the reading in the same week that you wrote the talk mm. if you're trying to, to read four chapters of a commentary on Jeremiah for example even if you're looking at three commentaries you can end up with and you get you get to Saturday and you still you haven't started well I've got a question here on Facebook from Mark Calder yeah and he's asked um, what happens when you experience what you described in your second talk you think on Saturday night that your talk for Sunday is rubbish and um, you have nothing left in the tank and that you're just going through the motions now just assuming that this has never happened to you or me. <laughs> so hypothetically, what happened? No, no, no. Yeah. Um, it has happened to it, us. It certainly has happened to me. Um, I, I, I think I would start again. Um, that's I, personally, I would. Uh, I, if I would look at it, if it really is rubbish, mm-hmm. you know, there's a sense of which I don't know about you, you know, but I always, I always type the last sentence in my, you know, in the talk mm-hmm. and go. Mm-hmm. I had such great hopes for that talk when I started. You know. So in that sense, you always live with a sense of this isn't this isn't what I hoped. Yeah. And sometimes on Saturday night, it could just be I'm tired and you know a bit mm. But there are other times where I've looked at it and gone, you know, this just doesn't. This does not make sense. Mm. I took a wrong turn on Tuesday. Yeah. And I I always thought, well, at that point, it's far better to to throw it in the bin mm-hmm. and and do something clear and simple and even shorter mm-hmm. if it is comprehensible than mm-hmm. to labour on with, with what I had. Mm-hmm. I did have an experience one of our students um, uh, said to me, I, I turned up in his church one Sunday night because I'd been away and our church cinema service and I went in and he said, oh Gary did you have to come tonight? And I said, oh, <laughs> thanks, good to see you too. And I said, why do you say that? And he said, oh he was preaching on Zephaniah mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, I don't know why I did it. He said, I've this is the third time, the third version of this. This talk. The, of this talk. And of just the ink's drying on it, I'm still not happy with it. Right. And uh, I said, oh, that, that's great. He said, what do you mean, great? I said, look, I just want to be taught by someone who cares deeply about this and has put in hard yards. Mm. He said, look, forget about me and just get on and mm. preach it, which mm. he did, and it was really good. But I think that's a, it's that balance, you know, that mm. I... I, I don't want people. You know, personally, I struggle a bit. You know, if, when I hear people say, "Well, I finish my talk at five o'clock on Friday because I have Friday night and Saturday off," mm. and if it's not, if well, it's not I, finished, it's not finished. You well, know, I don't know about you, but I find that I mean, there's there's two aspects to the talk. There's there's understanding the 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 text, yeah, yeah, and then there's thinking about how it lands in my life and yeah. in the lives life of yeah. the people. And um, often for me. Th- how the text lands in my life is not that far from how it lands in my people's life. Yes, yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. But it's actually the 48 hours before I'm speaking yeah. that most of the thinking about how this lands in the people's yes. life happens for me yep. because I'm thinking about them, yes. you know, and yeah. and it's what's it going to mean for that person and that person. And my head's got the passage in the back of my head, yep. but I'm I'm. Well, that's, I mean, yeah. I think that's the way it's got to be. It should be. I mean, yeah. In Dublin, sometimes I, I would occasionally be in church on Saturday night and I would, every so often, I would go and sit. And, you know, people are creatures of mm. habit. People tend to sit in the same areas. Place. But I would actually kind of go and go, how's this going to play for the, this woman who's going through a divorce? Yeah. And, you know, that this couple have just heard that there's, you know, their son's same sex attracted mm-hmm. or, you know, and, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, I think that's vital. Yeah. But I think, I think sometimes 
there's a sense in which when you've done your reading and your ex, you know, you've done your exegesis, you're ready to start. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think sometimes we can slip into thinking, well, I'm nearly finished. Yeah. All I need to do is just sort of package my yeah. Yeah. exegesis and it's done. Yeah. And that's not really yeah. yeah. Now, you were, we were chatting before about um, how I structure the talk yeah. in terms of am I aiming to really just show people exegetically what's going yeah. on in the chapter yeah. or am I aiming to have this sing in their life? Yeah. You know, yeah. do, do you want to talk about how... Yeah how structure of the talk sets us up for good or bad application. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's interesting in college, you know, I mean, I, I, every week I listen to you know, two or three student sermons um, and, and list, reflecting on my own preaching and listening to those, I realised that, that almost without exception, when a sermon was dull, mm-hmm. and, you know, a reasonable number of them are, uh, it was reflected in the structure. Mm-hmm. It was the way it was set up. It was answering a question that nobody was asking or it, it was it was essentially an explanation of the passage mm-hmm. and so you know the three points of the sermon or whatever were you know Jeremiah did X Jeremiah did Y Jeremiah did Z mm-hmm. and so I realised that you know if you do your exegesis and then uh, there's got to be a next stage where you kind of map out the talk mm-hmm. but if you map out your talk as an explanation you will end up with a sermon that is an explanation. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I suddenly realised with a tweak, I mean, the the past, the talk has still got to be shaped and driven by the text. The text, yeah. But if you set it up so that the headings are actually pushing towards application or encouragement or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is, then I realise that if I've got if I've got the outline right that implicit in the way in which I've set the talk up is the application. Mm-hmm. You know, so... That I'm arguing a thesis somewhere. I'm arguing yeah, a, you, a, you, you should do something. The, or or here, is the t- yeah, here is the takeaway for you, yeah. even if it is simply, you know, gasp at God's greatness. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if that's my heading, when I'm writing my explanation of the passage and the application, that will almost... It will just flow. Mm. I don't have to think... I am explaining it first, now I am applying it. Mm. If the paragraph, the section heading is bow before God's beauty, mm-hmm. it will be inherently mm. rooted, grounded in people's lives because that's what I'm trying to get people to do. Mm. And so, you know, I've kind of, I'm quite conscious of this now that when I set up a talk, I try to make sure that you know, I'm not overly tied to particular structure or headings, or whatever, but, but if you see the outline, it's very clear what the takeaway is at the end. Mm. So Yes, I, I remember actually uh, a story, two of our great heroes in yeah. preaching, talking to each other, <coughs> and they'd walked into church together, yeah. grabbed the outline of yeah. the sermon, and one of them said, oh, I can see where he's going yeah. already. I can yeah. I could preach this yes. now myself. I know what yeah. he's going to do. Um, that's no good as an outline. Yeah. And his friend, another... Christian yeah. great said, yeah, but do you want to be clever or do you want to be clear? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And and I thought, I want to be clear. <laughs> and I don't mind if yeah. I can work out where I'm going that's when right. I look at the outline. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, I mean, I think that's what, it, it is hard. And I think, you know, when you go through college and when preaching is your life, mm-hmm. there's a sinful part of us that always wants to be clever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not actually about novelty. Mm-hmm. 
Um, my wife often reminds me of the first time I heard Jim Packer preach. You know, I was a theological college student and J.I. arrived and I was kind of, you know, in awe sitting yeah. at his feet. And he preached on the Tower of Babel in Genesis, Genesis 11, preached for about 23 minutes, crystal clear, and I was deeply disappointed because I wanted, you know, I wanted meat. Yeah. You know, I wanted, yeah. like, and, and uh, Fiona just pointed out, that, I, that she thought I was valuing the wrong things because mm. he had opened up the text, pointed us to Christ, nice. done all the right, done things. all the right things, and 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 I, I think I learned yeah. an important lesson there. And the reality is, like none of us, you know, well, maybe you know, one in a generation in the world or something, but you know, most of us are not going to say anything particularly new or fresh. And in fact, if you do say something particularly <laughs> new, I want to be a bit suspicious. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Put you on trial for heresy. Exactly. <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah. Um, while we're still on sermons, yes. and you're talking about critiquing yeah. people, um, we've got a question on Facebook from Ben Allen, and Ben said, uh, "Dominic, I'm interested in the sermon critique process. How can we do that well as a staff team? What questions should we be considering? Also, we're working harder as a team to critique sermons or sermon concepts before Sunday. Any tips from Gary on doing this?" Hmm. Um, yeah, I see the value of kind of feeding forward rather than feeding back. I th- we do it with our student ministers. Yeah. I, I had, um, <coughs> I, I realised that in, uh, we've got four or five student yeah. ministers yeah. and they preach every so often. Yes. And I realised sometimes I'd go to church and I'd, I'd, really I'd spend my whole time sitting in the pew thinking, Oh dear, I hope we haven't got any guests today. Yes, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and um, this is dreadful. Yeah, and um, and and then I'd kind of feel grumpy with them yeah. at the end. And then I don't know. It was perhaps a decade ago. We we said now what we're going to do is three weeks before you've got to bring it to us. Yeah. Your, your rough thoughts. Then you bring it. Then you bring your outline to us. Yeah. And then you preach it to the staff team. Yeah. And then when you go out to the congregation, yeah. then we can all say afterwards, that was great. Yeah. And you've got something in your back pocket that yeah. you can use again. Because it's actually... You, and you're going out with the confidence knowing the whole staff team's behind you. Yes. You know? yeah. so, now, we, we then found we were spending our, all our staff meetings <laughs> doing student minister critique. Yes. And yeah. so we actually had to rationalise it. We just got my associate, my terrific associate, John, um, and he really does most of the hard work. Yes. But the first time preacher with us, somebody seniors looked at it three times before yeah. they actually get up in the pulpit. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, and I, th- I think there's real benefit in that. I think this slight when you actually get into a um, kind of staff, you know, a, yeah. a, a team, a more experienced you know, a more team than experienced that, than that yeah. team, I suppose. I think one of the dangers is that you can end up with with sermons kind of designed by a committee. Yes, you know, I think that too. Yeah, uh, but but having said that, you know, I think there are real benefits, especially when people are starting off. Yeah, I think it's a it's a fine. And line. sometimes there's a there's a personality yes, thing that you yeah. don't want the committee to dull. The, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Andrew 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 Sheed was that. I think has a different interpretation of Jeremiah's underpants than I do. He's definitely a linen belt. But But as as you said, Calvin says, who cares? Um, Now that was an in joke. (laughs) Gary's been preaching through Jeremiah and 
I mean, I, I got to say, it's chapter 12, 13. 13 yeah. There's a big thing about Jeremiah's underpants, <laughs> and you can go and read that yourself. <laughs> and look, actually, I just say, whatever view you come to on Jeremiah's underpants, <laughs> we're okay with yeah, that. I think, <laughs> I think there's it's a secondary issue. Secondary yeah. issue. No need for yeah. us to divide <laughs> denominationally on that issue. Yeah. But I think it's interesting in terms of preaching. There are some things that, for me, are you know they're non-negotiable so yeah. you know in it's in in kind of sermon critique or feedback in college you know the first question is did they did you ha- did he hand or she handle the text properly mm-hmm. if the answer to that is no they don't get any other feedback you know because there's a sense in which until you get that you know you nail the basic, text yeah. week after week after week I don't really want people to become a brilliant communicator of error. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so I think that's the first thing. I think then for me, you know, one of our distinctives is, I think at college probably, we emphasis the vibe of the text because mm-hmm. I don't want a talk on Jeremiah to sound the same as a talk on Romans mm-hmm. or Luke. Yeah, you know, so so we spend a bit of time on that. And I think the other thing is we always want the structure and ultimately the application to be driven by the text. Mm-hmm. So it, the text has, really has to match the talk because we don't want, I don't really want to come away from a sermon thinking, that was a fantastic sermon, I've no idea how he got from the text to that. Yeah. And I think it, it has the, the key effect when your, your talk is shaped by the text, when people, you know, just ordinary Christians or unbelievers sitting there go, oh yeah, Mm-hmm. See the, see where he gets that. See, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. fairly obvious. Yeah. I think we're doing. Mm-hmm. I think we're actually reinforcing people's confidence in in the text. In the text, yeah, um, yeah. Talk to me about momentum in preaching. Yeah. How yeah. do you how do you think about that? Yeah. Well, I think I mean that goes back to the outline thing that that I realised where students were struggling to make progress. You know, and their sermons weren't really getting Singing, anywhere. They yeah. Weren't, yeah. And, and I listened to a lot and I realized that it was it was essentially because they started in the world of the text and they stayed there mm-hmm. and there was never any, <laughs> there was never any sign of them getting out or you know they'd bump along in the first century for ages and then there'd be a horrible cr- grinding of gears as they desperately tried to make some application at the end mm. um, but I think again if you if, if you are willing to spend the time, writing a structure, setting up how you're doing it, you know, your thesis, mm. however you describe mm. that. Um, it, if the talk is driving towards something, that will be obvious in your outline. So mm. actually, I mean, in my preparation, you know, I do all my work on the text, and then I write an outline. I write introduction, development, and conclusion on a sheet of A4. Mm-hmm. And I don't go past that until I, I basically have the talk in outline mm-hmm. written on a single sheet of A4. You know, and that'll have notes of illustrations or application or whatever. But that until I've got that and until I'm sitting, I can look at the text and sort of look at my outline and go, yeah, they fit. Mm. Until I get to that point, I don't I don't start writing. Mm. And when I get into trouble, you know, uh, it's because I've skipped that middle section. Mm. And I think that's common with students and I think with some of my friends who are preachers. You're under the pump. You know, you're a bit behind, time short, you've done your work on the text. Other people. Yeah, yeah. other people. <laughs> I'm going to start writing. Yeah. And, and you know, in the providence of God, it will suddenly take on yeah. clarity and mm-hmm. your beautiful form. 
that's not how it happens. Mm. And you know, I still repeat the error, but it, I think less than I used to because if I have to sit, you know, and sometimes it's ten sheets of A4, mm. you know, nine of them are screwed up in the in a ball beside mm. the newspaper bin. You know, as I go, nah, that's not right yet. That's the bit. So when I when I've got my outline, kind of detailed, scribbled plan, I for me that's the the relaxation point. Mm. Do you know, I, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Where you go, oh, I, I know have, where I'm going. I will have something to say <laughs> on Sunday, you know, so that you know, I know it'll take me five hours to write it, or yep. whatever. Yeah, after that point, yes. Yeah. But but it's, I've relaxed. Yeah, I just write the thing. There may be struggles to come, but it's I'm past the panic yep. point. Yeah. yeah. Um, as you've been teaching us uh, at summer school, there've been points where you've been taking this is Jeremiah's ministry yep. and lessons from. Yeah. Lessons really for people in ministry yeah. from Jeremiah. Yeah. Just f- for those of us watching yeah. um, or listening to the pastor's heart, what are some of the lessons for the minister of the gospel today yeah. that you've picked up in your preparation from Jeremiah? Oh, well, I think I think the, the the glaring lesson is to be relentlessly word centred. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's Jeremiah is about that. His struggles are about speaking God's message into people's lives, and you know, I think that. One of the obvious kind of connections with us is that really Jeremiah doesn't say all that much that's new. Mm-hmm. It's mostly Deuteronomy and judgment is coming right now. You know, that's really it. But he says that over and over and over again, you know, in a thousand different ways. Um, and there's a sense in which I think when you read through the first twenty chapters, that at a human level, that that Jeremiah has spent himself. In, in in finding as many ways as possible to communicate this the basic message, which is essentially, you know, a gospel of salvation on the other side of judgment. But that is he uses poetry, prose, vivid imagery, you know, kind of shouts, whispers, pleads, cajoles. And and I think, you know, there is a um, a, a really helpful picture of a gospel ministry in action mm. where you just pour yourself into communicating what is a relatively simple truth in in all its richness and fullness in as many ways as possible. And I think that for me, even as a preacher, it's really easy to get lazy. Mm. You know, and you just just get into this kind of similar pattern. You know, now whether it's, you know, you've three points classically in your talk or, you know, question and answer or, you know, you you give the answer and then step back through. You know, it's very easy for me to slip into doing the same thing like that week after week. And I think Jeremiah personally is an encouragement for me to work hard and to think a little bit about the for what what the what my preaching feels like. Mm-hmm. You know, as in as a, for the listener, mm-hmm. have ha, am I coming at this slightly differently from last week? Is it that's it's not a high bar. But I just want to think about that because I realise, you know, that that's where my preaching's hard to listen to. It's often because I'm just doing the same thing that I did for the past three weeks, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's about making every effort to set up a talk in a way that will engage people because they go, oh, didn't didn't expect them to come at it like mm. like this. Um, and that may be down to the introduction. It may be the 
the structure. I'm not expecting people in church or in college to go, oh, I see that last week you had, you know, you mm. had seven points and this week you've <laughs> only, only got two. three. Yeah. But I think what they do pick up is this is different. Yeah. Mm. You know. One little point of encouragement. Um, uh, you were talking about um, how Jeremiah preached and preached and really got no result. Yeah. Um, yeah. And or just got a very negative result. Yes. Yeah. Um, where I was sitting in front of me was uh, one of the principals from one of the leading schools of Sydney, the Anglican schools yes, in Sydney, yeah. and, and in the row in front of him was another principal. And the principals of our schools have really copped a bucketing in the yes, media yeah. in the last few months. Yeah. And I just thought those guys would just be encouraged in their ministry and yeah. in their stand for the Lord Jesus, yeah. uh, hearing that word from God yeah. that you delivered from Jeremiah. Well, thank yeah. you. But I think it's really important for all of us because here in Australia and in a, I suppose a fair slice of the, the English-speaking world, we we have had a bizarrely privileged position, position yeah. which is a historical anomaly. Yeah, you know, but but that things are normalising very quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. My guest on the Pastor's Heart has been Dr. Gary Miller. Gary, thanks very much thanks, for talking to us, and uh, we'll look forward to you joining us next week. Our guest next week is going to be David Bennett, and uh, David. Um, a young man from Sydney, um, uh, currently doing his PhD in Oxford uh, in theology, uh, but he's just released a book called A War of Loves, and uh, it's his journey uh, through same-sex attraction uh, and then meeting Jesus, and uh, we'll be talking to him about that next week on The Pastor's Heart. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.